Well, good morning. I'm Bob. I've always appreciated that name because it's the same which way you spell it backwards or forwards. It's pretty simple. Um, two things before I get into the word this morning. You're about to see a miracle this morning because I've been asked to keep my message 30 minutes or less. So if that happens, you can thank God for that because that's a miracle. It really is. Second thing I want to make you aware of before we go any further, if you feel like running away from the preacher, you can't run away from the Holy Spirit. Just that simple. John chapter 11 is where we're going this morning, beginning at verse at 38, and it would be familiar to most of you if you're uh, regular church attendants, uh, attenders, or if you read your Bible at all. This is an exciting story um, about Jesus raising someone from the dead. And uh, we're going to begin right back at the beginning of verse 11 of, of uh, chapter 11. Let me read it. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he has the light of this world. But anyone who walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Lazarus has died. It's interesting that Jesus took two more days after he heard of Lazarus' sickness. Two more days before he embarked towards Bethany. And I think the reason he did that is because in the day Jews believed that if only three days went by after someone died, then they could awaken again. Although this never happened, they still believed it could happen. 
And so Jesus, being two days into his journey, took two more days. And how many know what two plus two is? Are you sure? Is that misinformation? Two plus two is four. He was dead four days beyond the three days that the Jews believed that he could have walked out of there by himself. Jesus waited till the fourth day and everyone then agreed. Lazarus was dead. The shortest verse uh, in the English translation of the Bible is verse um, 37. And he, uh, Jesus, it, it, says, it says this, that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And I've, I've often pondered that, why Jesus would weep at this one particular occasion when he saw things far worse than this. When he knew he had the power just to speak the word and Lazarus would come out of the tomb. So Jesus, I don't think, was weeping out of desperation. I think Jesus wept at the dullness of the people around him. You know, he was in speaking to, uh, to Mary and Martha, you know, they, they, they said, you know, Jesus, if you'd only come sooner, if you'd only come sooner, things would have been different. What they were talking about, I, I really don't know. What they, they, they probably thought, well, you know, if you'd been here, you know, you, you could have healed him. But Jesus said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. But they didn't hear that. I am the resurrection and the life. To me, if I heard that today, I would say Jesus is Lord over death. He's Lord over death. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus is Lord over death. He's Lord over a lot of other things. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over the weather. How many remember the calming of the seas in the scriptures? Jesus is Lord of all. But Jesus is Lord of us when we make him Lord of us. When we yield and in a confession of faith say, Jesus, I receive you. I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you, Jesus, now. And the scripture said, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. So if you're a believer today, if you've received Jesus into your heart, you're a son or daughter of God. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm not going to read the rest of the story. I'm just going to bring out a couple of, just a couple of points there. And uh, let's get right to the tomb. I try to picture the crowd in my mind, what these people would be thinking. Because Jesus walks up to the tomb and he tells them, roll the stone away. Kind of reminds me of his death and burial. When they found the stone rolled away, the women who loved Jesus and were tending to his tomb on that particular day. And they found that Jesus, oh, I don't want to let these notes get away because 
if the notes aren't here, I can preach for days. So he says, roll the stone away. And one of the women says to him, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. There'll be a smell. I love the King James. It says, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. He stinketh. Stinketh. I think that's a funny word. I do. You know, like, who, who talks like that? He stinketh. He stinketh. No. He stunk. He stunk. If you roll the stone away, you're going to regret it. Jesus said, roll the stone away, so they roll the stone away. And Jesus, looking at the tomb, he cries in a loud voice, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Think about that. I'm thinking the crowd are probably looking at one another. He's off his rocker. He thinks he can call that dead man out of that tomb. He yelled, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said if he didn't say Lazarus, all the tombs would have been emptied. But he called specifically for Lazarus. And what happened? Lazarus comes out of the tomb. He didn't walk out of the tomb. He wasn't airlifted out of the tomb. You see, he was wrapped almost like a mummy in his burial ritual. So he still had the grave clothes on. So he must have come out like this. I'm coming. The Bible, is, it can be a humorous book. And sometimes you just have to let the religious spirit go and look at the humor and have a good laugh. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. No mention of the smell. And Jesus says this. Take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. I want to talk to you about the grave clothes for a few minutes. You see... Lazarus was alive, but he couldn't reach his potential because he was wrapped in grave clothes. He couldn't do anything. And so Jesus said, take the grave clothes off and let him go. See, I think that's a message to us. I think it's a message to us, the church, because the church in some ways is covered in grave clothes. Well, what are you saying, Bob? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, grave clothes hinder us from living our potential in Jesus Christ. What are grave clothes for a believer? Well, I know believers who are addicted. They're addicted to drugs. I had a young man work for me for a couple years. He was in his early 20s, a great worker. But he was addicted to drugs. Every day, I had to drive him to the, met to the methadone clinic so he could get his methadone to get through the day. So that's how my day began. And I began thinking, you know, it would be easy for me to condemn him. It would be almost natural 
you know, to say things like, how could you allow yourself to be, to be overcome by drugs so that you depend on them every day of your life? Can't you see how it's ruining you, how it's robbing you of your potential? But I didn't do that. I just loved him. I just loved him and encouraged him. I talked to him about Jesus, and he was full of questions. He was a nice young man who had grave clothes on. A lot of believers struggle with grave clothes. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren. He was speaking to people who were saved. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing and acceptable unto God. And be no longer conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where living for Jesus begins. Mind renewal. All the junk has to go. And all the new has to come. And that's a process. And I recognize that as believers having grave clothes. I have grave clothes on, spiritually speaking, because not every area of my life is perfect. By the way, have you read my new book? Humble and proud of it. So many believers struggle with pride. Pride is a grave cloth. It's, it's a grave cloth. It's a wrapping around us that hinders us from our full potential in Jesus Christ. This is wonderful here today that two churches who believe mostly the same things come together for a time like this to be encouraged in the Lord and receive, to receive a word, a strong word, to the church in looking forward with a vision given by the Holy Spirit that the best testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ in a community like Montague is when the churches come together. It's a black mark on Christianity when churches who believe in the same Jesus believe in almost everything that each of us believe. Others believe a few things that others are not. Some have experienced a few things that others have not. But here we are believing in the same Christ and we come together. And you know, it's, it's monumental, although it shouldn't be. It should be natural for the church to do this. And I'm believing, and I hope you're believing with me, that in the days and weeks ahead, releasing of grave clothes from churches all over this area to the point where we can come together in a show of power and unity and declare the goodness and the greatness of God. God is great and he's good. He's full of mercy and he bestows his grace liberally on those who don't deserve it but who will receive it. See, grace is much more than we've made it over the years. Grace, I describe grace as this, it's simple. Grace is the divine ability given to us by God to do things that were not 
able to do by ourselves. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. No grace, no salvation. No faith, no salvation. It's impossible to be saved without grace. Noah built an ark. And it says in the, in the Old Testament, it says Noah found grace. Grace in the Old Testament? I mean, come on, Bob. Grace in the Old Testament? Yeah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. A divine ability. He never could have built that ark without the grace of God. But build it, he did. And I'm glad he did. Only, only thing I don't like about it is while well, he had those mosquitoes on there, <laughs> would, would have just been two sharp claps and we'd be good to go. There's no darker mind. Listen to what I'm saying. There's no darker mind than the religious mind. The religious mind, in my estimation, is the darkest mind somebody can possess. You see, religion is a system of beliefs that offer nothing. People make up rituals, people make up habits, people do things out of obligation, and it's all hoping that somehow it's pleasing God. You see, it was the religious people who put Jesus to death. The religious people did that. The people who claimed to know the God of creation killed the salvation that, that Jesus offered the world. Thought he thought they were killing it by killing him. But actually they made it possible by doing that. Religious people, after Lazarus came out of the grave, you hear the chatter between the religious people. What did they do? They go to the authorities. Imagine, somebody gets raised from the dead and some religious person who says, well, he's not the right denomination. He doesn't believe the same stuff we believe. So how in the world could God ever use him? So I don't know what's going on there, but that's not the Holy Spirit. So I lost my place. Just kidding, I didn't lose my place. So here, here's, here's the thing. They go to the authorities and say, Jesus is doing miracles all over the place. Now that's a stupid statement. Jesus is doing miracles all over the place, and I'm here to report him for doing miracles. That's what a religious mind does. These were religious leaders, and this is what they did. Now folks, here's where I'm going, and I'm almost done. You're almost, uh, you're almost going to see a miracle here. Listen, if I go 31 minutes, it doesn't count. But anything 30 and less is a miracle. And the folks at Centerpoint can tell you that. They'll verify it. The church, the church of Jesus still has grave clothes around itself. And I say this morning, I say this morning that we need to become active as believers in the removal of those grave clothes because they hinder 
the church's work. The church is doing some great things. It's wonderful to hear some of the reports about things that are happening in Montague. But you know what? There are a lot of bodies of believers in Montague. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could move as one? Wouldn't it be a testimony to this community rather than a black mark on the church? You see, wouldn't it be wonderful if we met like this on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis or whatever? And what if seven churches joined us? What if 10 churches joined us? What if a dozen churches joined us? What if it started all over PEI? The denominations, the name tags that we wear are dispersed and the church becomes the church. Here's the last thing. Are you ready for this? Here's the last thing. Live it like you mean it. Live it like you mean it. Don't live it like it doesn't matter. Don't live it like a, some sort of tack on at the end of your week. Live it every day like you mean it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for these kind folks that have gathered in this place. We thank you, Lord, that there's a place like this where we can gather such as we are today. I'm asking God that the words that I've spoken, I trust that I've been faithful to that which you've given me. I pray, God, that this word, this seed, finds fertile soil and takes root and grows and produces a crop. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone can say, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.